0: From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA.
1: The Russians have been intruding into our social space in space and on the seas and over the territory of Finland and Alaska.
0: Secretary of the Air Force Barbara Barrett, also the head of U.S. Space Command, with a message for Russia, especially as it relates to U.S. satellites.
1: We need to deter people from taking hostile action against us, but if deterrence doesn't work, we need to be able to defend what we've got. That
0: warning is coming as the U.S. prepares for a grand re-entry into space.
1: We're going to be, for the first time in almost a decade, launching human, American human astronauts from American soil on an American rocket with an American capsule from Cape Canaveral to space. The details coming up on this episode of Target USA.
0: The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. For years, Russia's been taunting the U.S. In the air, on land, on the sea, in cyberspace, and now in space. But there's a new day coming. The Secretary of the Air Force, Barbara Barrett, sat down with Target USA and outlined exactly what they're going to do to deal with that problem. And it's all happening at the same time the U.S. prepares for a grand re-entry into space for the first time in many years. U.S. astronauts are going to blast off aboard a U.S. rocket in the U.S. into space. We sat down with Barrett at her office at the Pentagon to discuss all the exciting new developments.
1: Thanks, J.J. You know, it is a very special time. It's an extraordinary time in American history and in, um, in aviation as an industry uh, and as a domain, aviation and space. So coming into the Air Force, uh, the Department of the Air Force, which is the Air Force plus the Space Force equal the Department of the Air Force, uh, we've got four key priorities. We've got to modernize the, uh, the force. We've got to uh, bring up to date the equipment and methods, the doctrine, we've got to modernize what we have. Standing up the Space Force is a second key priority. How can you uh, do anything more important than the creation of a new service? And and, the Reality is that the beginning, as I think Socrates said, the beginning is the most important part. We've got to get it right from the beginning. Course corrections are difficult. We will be able to do modest course corrections, but we've got to get it right from the beginning. So standing up a space force is the second priority behind modernization. And the third and fourth would be predictable. They are both involving people. One is uh, the people within the this service, uh, the, the services, this Air Force and the Space Force, it's uh, taking good care of the men and women who are serving in our Air and Space Forces and their families, being a great place to work. Having the Air Force and the Space Force be places that people are proud to work and they know that they are making a big difference in the world. And the fourth is also a people thing, but it's a different kind of people thing. It's allies and partners. America is big and strong and powerful and great in so many ways, but if it's the world against us, we lose. We have to work with partners and we are we are privileged to have great partners around the world. So our priorities modernize the force, build a space force, be a great place to work and work with our allies and partners around the world.
0: So modernization, what needs to be modernized? Oh, wow,
1: everything. You know, so we've got on the air-breathing side uh, our fighters, our bombers, uh, our rockets, our uh, missiles, um, everything, Uh, you know, technology doesn't wait. It takes us a long time to buy things. And so while we're waiting and working to buy new things, the technology is moving along very quickly. So by the time we buy it, in many instances there is a new generation that we're already behind on so and the adversary may not have the kinds of uh, ac- uh, acquisitions restraints that we have so uh, so modernization of our processes modernization of our facilities and modernization of our equipment on the space side even more you know well, maybe we'll talk more about the global positioning system gps people depend upon that every day. We built a space system, a space system upon which everybody depends. We built it at a time when we thought that space was a benign environment, when we didn't think that there would be hostiles, hostile action against our equipment. My predecessor, Secretary Heather Wilson, used a, an analogy that I think is good. She said, we built a glass house when we didn't think about stones or we didn't know there would be stones out there. So we've got to modernize this system upon which we depend. And many of the satellites have outlived their design life already. And we need to build, we need to protect the ones we've got. We've got to build more resilient and defensible GPS satellites. And we need to uh, deter people from taking hostile action against us But if deterrence doesn't work, we need to be able to defend what we've got.
0: I know that uh, Russia has been taking some very aggressive activities in space, specifically as it relates to satellites. Um, I know that um, Space Force stood up in November and December. Um, I do know that there were some satellites that were launched. And then, shortly after that, there was some shadowing. So there was some shadowing of these satellites, kind of hostile activity by the Russians, Uh, And that seems to have taken the aggressive activities that they've been engaging in out off the coast of Alaska into space. And I assume that that's a part of what you mean when you talk about being able to do what you need to do in space to protect the assets.
1: Absolutely. You're exactly right. Not only do we need to be able to define, we need to be able to define what hostile action is. Now, we don't have rules of the road in space. So if you're driving down the highway... And there's a yellow line between you your, and the other side, and a tractor trailer is coming down on your side of the highway. We've got rules of the road. He's in the wrong. If you drive, if you have to go off the road to avoid him, it's his. He is in error. We don't yet have defined rules of the road in space. In the military world, that'd be called doctrine. We need to know what the rules of the road are, what we can do, what they can do, and what, it, what how close is too close. If somebody enters the same orbit we're in, how close is too close on the ground on the ground civilization societies have personal distance mm-hmm. in the United States, if you get too close and pre-COVID especially. <clears throat> There's a distance that is an acceptable social distance and in different societies in Japan, you know the white gloved people push you into the subway car that there's closer is acceptable there. We have a, cer- a certain social distance. the British have a different social distance in space, there would be a, so- a certain distance that you would keep unless you're up to something right. unless you're taunting them and in, in the Russians have been intruding. Into our social space, in space and on the seas, and over the over the territory of Finland and Alaska, and uh, and so we are having to get new doctrine to figure out what is acceptable and to have there be very clear lines that tell them when they're beyond social acceptable.
0: So, just one quick follow then on that: is the doctrine part uh, the discovery of what it is? the definition, the defining of it, and then the actual practical application of it. Is that something that is uh, that can be done in a fairly short period of time, or is that a long-term thing, uh, developing that kind of document? So,
1: of course, as you would anticipate, there are two steps. One would be to develop it, to think it through, design it, work with experts, work with the diverse... Uh, parties to determine in different orbits and in different missions what, uh, what would be an appropriate doctrine. The second is to work with other spacefaring nations to determine whether, yeah, as is the case with cultures and social distance, what would we be able to have a unity around uh, for, imp- for implementation.
0: How would you describe just how important the GPS situation is right now and what kind of threat it might be under?
1: You know, J.J., I think people don't understand how completely dependent we are on space. And I've said before your first cup of coffee in the morning, almost everybody has used space. What do you do in the morning? You turn on the lights. Electricity, dependent upon space you take a shower. The water, in many instances, dependent upon space. You took, take a look at stock reports, weather reports, and news reports. Most of those are dependent upon space. You may get in your car and use an electronic map. People don't know how to fold a, or how to handle a paper map anymore. Most are dependent upon space. Traffic is dependent upon space. Um, your ATMs are dependent upon space. You can't use your com- your uh, credit card at the gas pumps except through GPS systems. Mm-hmm. So Americans are dependent upon space. The farmers in the uh, monitor their fields dependent upon space. Is, there, is, the, is the drought causing the crops to wither? Much of that is determined by measurements that are taken from space. Our navigation, our information, our communications – All of those are space-reliant today. Our air traffic controllers, our navigation on the high seas, all of that is space-dependent. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere, but it's invisible, so people don't realize it. And that is really what it has snuck up on us. You know, I would say that when you think about in the history of mankind, what inventions... Have had the biggest impact on more people faster.
0: So is this a question
1: for me? No, I is this just a think, no, I just this think. Yeah, no. I'm well, fail this way. yeah. Well, you think about what are the candidates? Think about the toaster and the fax machine. Yeah, or you think about the wheel, the zipper, gas. Yeah, you know, the GPS system was fully operational 25 years ago, and they're just the tick list of things I just mentioned. Change everybody's... almost. So what percentage of the people in the world are using GPS on a daily basis? I don't know what that percentage is, but if you think about it... And and here's a cool thing. GPS is free. Everybody's using it, but it's free. And here's a remarkable fact. Eight people are controlling that system Eight people in in looking at computer screens in Colorado, seven to nine people on a shift. So 40 people total that do the shift work in Colorado are, are managing the GPS satellites that give us the opportunity for the weather, for the ATMs, for the power, for all of what I've described. All of that is eight people sitting in Colorado Springs. And so it is not labor-intensive. It's electron-intensive, and it's brain cells-intensive. But it is not people-intensive. But it's changed the world. It's changed everything we do. It's changed everything we do.
0: Part of the reason why I wanted to do this interview is because I've been to Sea Springs, I've been to Cheyenne Mountain, I've been to Pete Field... I've flown on an F-16, a KC-135, a C-130, a C-17, a C-5. A
1: KC-135, holy smokes. So that's the
0: refueler, I think. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right.
0: So I've been embedded with the Air Force twice uh, in Afghanistan and a few other countries as well over the 16 years that I've been doing this. Part of the remarkable thing about this these opportunities is the the ability to understand the depth of necessity that this nation has for something like that. But I don't think, we just don't know how to explain it as journalists, the importance. And I think what you just did talking about the eight people and the satellites, the GPS, talking about what we'd use it for, space, how important it is, is exactly what it is that we want to present to our listeners and our audience is the understanding of why all this is important. So to go back to those frames, those airframes that I've mentioned to you, you are talking about modernizing. Many of those, I'm sure, have been modernized, like the F-16s or whatever whatever it is, the variant that they're flying now, are. But some of them, I'm not—can Are can some of these other frames, like the C-5 and the C-17, do they get modernized or do they get phased out?
1: Some do, some don't. So, you know, the KC-135, uh, I remember that. Forty years ago, yeah. and uh, back then they had very expensive, very not expensive. They had very loud uh, engines, right. and our noise complaints were over the roof. So we had to, we re-engined them. The F-16s uh, have had new weapon systems. Uh, the uh, so new capabilities may be added to them. Uh, new engines may be added to them. The airframes, in some cases, the wings on the A-10, the wings have uh, suffered fatigue and, potent- and would be endangering. So they're being re-winged. Mm-hmm. So the platform may be changed and modernized. And in other cases, the, you know, it's, it's in other cases, the fix is more expensive than the replacement, and uh, so.
0: That was my next question, yeah. how much? Well, yeah. and
1: it varies with the tool, and it varies with what do you want to do with it. It varies with how much of that do you need to get done. Uh, so you may not need a new one. The, the B-52 is a 1950s vintage aircraft, and it's going to continue to be a part of our fleet because it can do what uh, others cannot. So modernizing it, increasing its Bombay doors will be more valuable to us than designing and building a new piece of equipment. So um, the, the modernizing is uh, something that has to be analyzed in each instance.
0: Well, thank you. Um, you've uh, led me to my next line of questioning, and, and that is the COVID-19 um, impact on the Air Force and how that will impact the force of the future for not just the Air Force, but space and everything that's uh, under your purview. Yeah.
1: Covid-19 has changed a little, uh, changed how we do business each day. In that we are, as we are right now, six feet apart, and we're wearing our masks, our face masks, or as I call it, a muzzle, um, much of the day when we're going to be in close proximity with others. We're uh, purrelling until our hands are chapped, and we're using wipes to uh, between each meeting. We're we're changing how we operate while it is a threat. But in some of those changes, we're learning things. We're doing a lot more home uh, work. We're doing telecommuting, teleworking. Um, And we're learning that technologically we can do things from a distance that we have felt we needed to all come together to do. Uh, I just got off of a a video conference with the Secretary of Defense, and uh, he was on video with the commanders from all over the world, And uh, we had a perfectly good discussion. And we're discovering more and more that electronically, we'll be analyzing it, but it seems that we could be quite effective. Um, We still need to be present, physically present, some of the time. But much of what we do, we can do remotely. I did a um, meeting, a congressional meeting this morning remotely. Some people on video, some just audio. Um, but uh, members of Congress, staff, and and uh, professionals.
0: So that most likely would impact the civilian force more than more than anyone
1: else. Civilians and um, and uniformed. I mean, it's, uh, there are certain jobs, civilian or military contractor, as well that um, that you have to do in person. Certain equipment. So and then we try to do uh, find ways of uh, doing distance. If you're a maintenance. Uh, person trying to lift a heavy item up or working on a tool project it may be that you have to be uh, more careful but that could be military and it could be civilian
0: Well this time is flying by so I have two more lines of questioning so I'm gonna try to get to those very quickly Um, one of which is the back to the Space Force the X-37B which I've been covering for probably a decade or
1: more From the beginning, then. Yeah, yeah, I remember
0: back in the 90s, there was something called the SR-71 Blackbird. And I remember when it was retired, thinking, okay, here's something that can fly from L.A. to D.C. in about 58 minutes. So if they're putting that in mothballs, what's next? So the next thing that I heard about was the X-37B. And I know that you've got an engagement with that coming up soon. Can you tell us uh, what's what's going to be going on with Very
1: that? Very exciting, actually. So the X-37B, we're looking for it to go back into space. You know, it was up there for over 700 days on its last trip. This will be the sixth time to go to space, and it's going to be different this time. It's going to have a service module. It'll have an addition, uh, an attachment to it, uh, basically a cylinder at the back end of the of the equipment. And on it, it will be able to carry even more experiments than ever before. And it's the X-37B, a lot of uh, people, it's hard to get an image of what that is. It is, if the space shuttle is a bowling ball, the X-37B is a golf ball. So the difference in size, it's a miniature size, it would fit inside the cargo hold of the space shuttle. It's unmanned, unlike the space shuttle. It stays up for years, the last one over two years, the last orbit, um, or the last um, journey. So it's an experimental, it is a way that we can discover, on this trip there will be experiments dealing with materials, how do materials react to ambient air radiation radiation in uh, in space, not air, but radiation in space, and how do to, how to botanicals, how do seeds react in, in space, and because it is reusable, it will bring those experiments back to Earth. We have had, with a rocket, you can launch satellites, mm-hmm. and they stay up there, mm-hmm. but to be able to safely bring it back, that's what this uh, X-37B can do.
0: It's also come to my attention, too, that this is a part of the America Strong program, and having flown with the Thunderbirds in 2009, having just that opportunity, that's just remarkable to me just to think back on that. But to to see how this is going to plug into that process is really, really something else. So how is this X-37B uh, situation going to be a part of the America Strong process?
1: Well, a lot of Washingtonians watched with pride as the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels flew over earlier this month. Um, That was the America Strong mission, honoring, saluting, uh, and thanking the hospital workers, the healthcare workers, the first responders, uh, the essential workers who have been working to get us through this COVID experience. Well, space isn't going to be left out. So the air-breathing side with the Thunderbirds, the United, the, the United States Air Force and Space Force are both proud, as we work together, to have America Strong uh, be uh, identified on the X-37B, and this launch, this this voyage, will be dedicated to the America Strong mission, which is to recognize those essential workers.
0: Well, that should be something else. Um Anything else you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important before we go today?
1: You know, I would say one thing. This is an extraordinary couple of weeks in the space business. This launch of the X-37B, an unmanned, reusable, uh, extraordinary tool for, for research and study in space. We're going to be, for the first time in almost a decade, launching human American human astronauts, from American soil on an American rocket with an American capsule from Cape Canaveral to to space. For the past decade, we have not had a way to have our astronauts get to our $110 billion International Space Station except by buying a seat from the Russians. And uh, call me sentimental, but I do sure like it when America is back in the space business and then there's going to be, uh, we're recruiting, uh, the Space Force is recruiting this month, so Air Force people can sign up for the Space Force. There is an ad about purpose uh, that uh, some people may find their purpose on this Earth to be someplace off of the Earth, off our planet. So uh, And everybody's getting in the act, even uh, Netflix has a television a series that is coming up that's uh, going to be uh, poking some fun, I suspect, at the Space Force. But as you and I have discussed, we don't uh, we don't we don't take ourselves very seriously, but we sure do take our missions seriously. The Space Force is doing very important work.
0: It's been quite a pleasure to be able to sit here and talk with you today about this, um, because I do know that this is very important stuff for right now in our existence, and certainly considering some of the aggression that we've seen from America's adversaries. It's, it's as you say about the X-37B and other uh, space assets, it's good to have your own ride.
1: Yeah. America is back in space. We're back doing human space flight. We've got big plans, big, bold plans. Uh, it's important. It is vital for us to be successful in space in order for the American way of life to pr- continue. And I, you are my first radio interview, and I want you to know that I'm honored that you would be the one to interview, interview me on this topic because you know this topic. And I really, uh, great questions and great comments. Well, thank thank you, you very much.
0: Thank you. The pleasure is mine, ma'am. Thank ma'am. you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: That was Barbara Barrett, Secretary of the Air Force. A truly enjoyable interview. And this is an extraordinary time. American astronauts, for the first time in more than a decade, blast off into space aboard an American rocket from the United States. A strong message to Russia and the rest of the world. And speaking of messages to Russia, coming up on our next episode... But Russia is the only country in the world that still has uh, a nuclear arsenal um, of of the kind of capacity to pose an existential threat to us. This is, of course, something that we've been grappling with for decades, and uh, we still have an awful lot to do on the arms control front. That is the unmistakable voice of Fiona Hill, a British-born American foreign affairs specialist. You heard her testify during President Trump's impeachment hearings about... Russian activity, and she joins Target USA to tell us Russia is a problem, but we as a nation have to stop helping them be a problem. You know what we're seeing here is uh, the Russians have become uh, opportunists. Our own uh, dishonest politics have been, you know, picked up and amplified by people from the outside who wishes um, ill, uh, unfortunately. A blunt, enlightening, and sometimes funny interview with Fiona Hill. She recently served as Deputy Assistant to the President and Senior Director of European and Russian Affairs on the National Security Council. That's coming up on our next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email at jgreen@wtop.com. at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. Green at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want even more national and international security information, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at wtop.com/alerts. I'm JJ Green, and this. It's is Target USA,
1: the National Security Podcast. Hey, I'm Autumn Calabrese, and I have a question for you. How do you do life? I might be a superstar trainer, but I'm also a boy mom, sister, daughter, friend, and entrepreneur. You might think my life is all working out and cooking healthy, delicious recipes. But trust me, there is so much more to it, and this is it. This is all of those real moments you talk about with your family and friends. Ever wonder what else life has to offer? Bring your curious appetite and let's do life together. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and PodcastOne.com.
0: Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.